0: My bulky blender was such a pain to use, I ended up hardly ever using it at all. But the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender makes blending so easy and convenient, I use it just about every day. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper-quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement just about any style. I absolutely love the Lisa Frank edition. What are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever.
1: You are now listening to This Week Explained.
0: Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, with Carvin as my co-host, and together we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. Let's get to what's on your agenda this week, Carvin
1: All right. We've got Russia, Ukraine, obviously, then Israel, Hamas, and then we're going heavy into Europe because uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in Europe this week. So, finally, Sweden has gotten all the ratifications they needed. They're ascending to the North Atlantic, Treaty organization that's NATO.
0: Congrats, Sweden! Yeah. <laughs> I
1: was actually just reading a, a, a screenshot of a tweet from um, from somebody who's he was an American intelligence officer and he's a complete nut nut job that's pro full pro Russian lives in Russia now and it was a tweet from him from 2022 when he said that um, he said not only if Ukraine fires one weapon will they just be completely annihilated Mm -hmm. but russia's aggression will prove that nato will prove to stop nato expansion and i was like yeah as it has now expanded to finland and sweden
0: yeah so
1: just based off of what putin did in 2022
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy that guy was so you know staunchly behind him where is he from he's an intel officer here
1: yeah, he will. He was also a. Uh, well, I'll tell you later after this. Okay, never, we've got right, never kids mind. listening. So
0: all right, all right, all right.
1: Um, but let's get back. So we're going to also talk never about. Mind,
0: I think I know where you're going with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you do. Context um, disclos- please. We're going to talk Moldova because uh, Moldova is getting nervous right now about potential Russian aggression. We'll discuss why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this question that I'm I'm throwing out there is: NATO ready to send troops to Ukraine? We're going to get into, are they ready or not? You know, some of the, the public talks out of the different countries in NATO about doing that. And then what were the, what are the implications if they do send troops to Ukraine? And then World we're War gonna, III. Well, don't, <laughs> I know don't that's spoil it. You're supposed that's to course say course spoiler alert. Scenario. What? Spoiler Wait, alert. <laughs> I'm not even,
0: mm-mm. Uh-uh. No. kidding when I said that. I just like being melodramatic. I do not want you to confirm what I said in jest.
1: Yeah, no. Um, And we're going to end out with uh, we'll, we'll go into more in depth of Israel Hamas because the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority resigned this week. And I thought that would be the big news story. But it's kind of gone under the radar, I think.
0: I know. I noticed that because, I mean, I saw the story and I immediately, you know, sent it to you. Yep. Like, OK. Never mind. We need to get to We need
1: Getting to it's into to how the, the sausage is made. One of your Ew. favorite terms.
0: I, uh, sorry. Oh, God. Hold on. This is board. what
1: we do. This is how we get the podcast together. We'll, we send stuff back and forth to each other, and it either makes the cut or it doesn't. This one did.
0: Most of it doesn't make the cut.
1: <laughs> you do not want to see those text messages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, shot, Let's get it. All right, go. What is the latest coming out of Ukraine?
1: All right, so I only want to spend a brief period of time on this because, like I said, we're going to get into a ton of stuff going on within Europe, which affects both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but Russia continues its push west. It's making small gains on the ground. Now, Ukraine is continuing their whirlwind tour. So Zelensky's doing a little whirlwind tour to ask for support from the west. Um, and there are some. There are actually some interesting developments from NATO, and uh, that's what we're going to get into very soon. But otherwise, there's not really much new going on that we need to go over um, the fighting continues. Doesn't seem to be a viable solution that's being floated around right now that's going to end this war. So that's where we stand.
0: OK, then let's get to the update in Gaza where Israel is continuing its ground operations against Hamas. So what is going on on the ground there?
1: Right. So we've got the conflict with Israel and Hamas in Gaza. It continues to escalate. Um, Hamas's military wing launched a series of attacks that targeted Israeli forces in Zaytun, a city uh, it's in southeastern Gaza City it's a little community Um, so this happened between February 19th and February 28th we saw or the IDF saw at least 92 attacks Palestinian militias claimed these attacks. They said that they did it, um, and they did it in that area. The IDF says that these assaults showed a significant level of sophistication and coordination among at least seven seven different Palestinian militias. And I want to kind of to break it down because there's a government wing of Hamas and a military wing. We're talking about the military wing that's fighting the IDF right now. I know you think probably, well, Hamas is a terrorist group. It has a government wing. Yes, it is the government of Gaza, so it's the ruling government of Gaza, and they have a military wing, these militias. Now, during these attacks, those militia groups used uh, RPGs, so rocket-propelled grenades, they used mortars, explosively formed penetrators, EFPs, IEDs, improvised explosive devices, small arms, they also used rockets, Um, so fighting is heating up there.
0: Well... For the layperson such as myself, can you explain what the difference is between EFPs and IEDs? Yeah. Explosively formed penetrators and then the improvised explosive devices.
1: Yeah. So the the IEDs are really rudimentary. Um, it's just a bunch of wires with maybe like a 150 millimeter round that explodes and then causes a bunch of damage. So the EFPs are more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So usually what will happen whenever the device explodes, it will shoot a charge out. Um, and usually you'll see it being used in copper where that explosion goes out and it causes the copper or whatever metal to become a projectile. And that can uh-huh. kind of then sort of infiltrate any equipment it can any...
0: penetrate?
1: Yeah, it can penetrate. I'm trying to I was trying to think <laughs> okay. of another word. word. <laughs> you, if you saw the coin, you know the coin that I have, um the one I gave like Matt and Toby and those guys where it it had it's like looks like copper. It's kind yeah. of like a bronze looking coin. Yeah. That is an early EFP. Um that this is something that Iran has developed and and they've become like the coin itself? No, the coin is mimicking what those devices look like.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Well, that obviously is not the kind of news we want to hear, that the fighting is still going on and we still haven't reached any sort of um, truce. But uh, So, I mean, this whole thing is incredibly intense. Can you elaborate on the dynamics that are at play here? Like, how are Palestinian militias able to maintain their military capabilities despite Israeli clearing operations?
1: That's a a great question because the IDF keeps saying that they're pushed, you know, destruction of Hamas, get Hamas out of there. But with the use of guerrilla warfare that Hamas typically engages in, the Palestinian militias seem to have adapted and maneuvered effectively within Gaza's urban landscape. The way that they do this is you don't wear military uniforms. Um, you know the area, so you can kind of hide out and wait. Now, despite previous efforts by the IDF um, to clear these areas, these it looks like the groups have managed to sneak back into these previously cleared zones um, because what they were doing was they were hiding out in uncleared zones in central Gaza
0: so are they like pretending to be Palestinian civilians
1: so this has been I mean this is something that's not really talked about in the media too much but this is what is happening since after October 7th so when you see the numbers for the amount of civilians that have died
0: Mm -hmm. within
1: Gaza it's those numbers are true and they are civilians but they put these militia members within this because they consider them Civilian, so Hamas doesn't consider any of their people as a military, so they're not going to give those numbers. So yes, they hide within the civilian population. They so they're pumping up the
0: numbers with their own
1: people. Yeah, and it's not to take away from the tragedy of all those numbers.
0: No, oh my god, it's
1: when you're. I just wanted to say that because when you're reading the numbers, you have to understand that quite a bit of that is these militia members.
0: But the well, you say, do you say? quite a bit, but I thought they weren't nearly as successful, you know, clearing out Hamas as they are trying to imply.
1: Well, that that's just, we don't know, because okay. we can't, we don't get good numbers from either side, and you just won't. So until all of, till like five years after this is all done, we're not gonna really know the sheer magnitude.
0: Until they declassify all the documents and everything?
1: Yeah, well, it's just, you know, people going through the rubble yeah you know, there's still people under rubble this is uh-huh. this is incredibly sad and
0: Sad doesn't even sad's not even the yeah. word for it I don't even know that's you
1: could say tragic but that's it's beyond that, that.
0: really yeah it's beyond that it's I, I uh, okay
1: but yeah so they are they are within the civilian population they are mm-hmm. seen as part of the civilian population um and this is the reason why that Israel is pushed back against taking troop, taking the IDF troops from those areas of Gaza that they've cleared out, because they believe um, that as their forces leave those areas, Hamas is going to come back into those areas. And so now what we're seeing is that seems to be a legitimate worry, because what we're seeing now is Hamas has reactivated the dormant cells in those areas
0: they're circling back to where they started
1: yep and circling right back to where they started so if idf if you look at the trajectory of where they are going to clear parts of gaza when we they just have, have to a circle yeah or we when they have to eventually come back and and get back into israel they're going to fight those forces once again and it's going to be these dormant cells um and that's because Hamas is capitalizing on the reduction in presence of the IDF within that Northern Strip that they've said they've cleared out.
0: Well, it appears Hamas has achieved a significant victory in this um, instance. Mm-hmm. So are they interpreting it similarly or are they trying to hold back before they announce victory?
1: Well, you're you're interpreting it correctly that this is a significant victory for Hamas. Um And Hamas's response to this suggests that they see it the same way. They see it as a win. Uh, Mm -hmm. Their political bureau chairman uh, implied sort of a sense of confidence within the the group. Mm -hmm. And that indicates to me that they view the ongoing attacks in Zaytun as evidence of, first of all, their resilience, but also the effectiveness of their own war effort.
0: Okay, well, that is the update on the ground offensive, but what about the ceasefire negotiations? Are we any closer to getting to at least a brief moment of peace for those people over there who are starving and don't have medical care and don't have shelter?
1: Yeah, and it's it's tragic. Did, you know, I didn't even bring this up, but re- so as recently as today, uh, today is real time. Um, there was another tragedy that happened where the IDF was trying to give humanitarian aid. They were There was a swarm of Palestinians because there's a humanitarian crisis and they want water, food, all of this stuff. Well, as the IDF was encircled by these civilians, um, it is said, so Israel says that about 100 people were trampled. Um, now... Hamas and Al Jazeera and and Middle Eastern media has said mm-hmm. and and I'm waiting for the full evidence on this before we actually you know truly discuss this from an intelligence perspective. But okay. they say that the IDF opened fire on all these civilians and it wasn't that they were trampled on it was that they were killed.
0: Oh by my the gosh. IDF.
1: So we will talk about that as soon oh. as I can verify all of the information. <laughs> But to answer your question, not to, to go off topic there a bit, but um, mm-hmm. to, to answer your question, I think we are where we were last week when we discussed this, um, and that's even despite recent efforts and optimistic statements that some people were not happy that Joe Biden said, but um, U.S. President Joe Biden said that they were ready to make an agreement by Monday, Um, So if you're listening to this, we're February 29th right now. This will come out March 1st. Joe Biden said by um, March 4th they should have an agreement. The IDF has said or Israel has said, whoa, we don't know about that. And then Hamas said, no, we don't agree with anything that's going on in the ceasefire." Joe Biden,
0: shut your mouth. Right. Why are people letting him talk? He doesn't even. uh... And,
1: And once again. I just want to say again, trying to fix Middle Eastern problems with Western solutions. There are like, there's so San Francisco, Dearborn, Michigan, there are cities in the U.S. who are having votes for a ceasefire in Gaza. Why? Why?
0: What is that going to, what is that going to do? That's not going to get the IDF to, okay, Dearborn, Michigan said we should have a ceasefire. We better stop what we're doing.
1: In what? their mind, they're thinking, I want to be on the right side of history. Let's have this vote. We'll um, have but it means nothing.
0: Support support Palestinian. I mean, call your congressman if you want to keep pushing it, you know, to the government level. But holding votes on a state level?
1: On a city level.
0: On a city level. Sorry. City level. That's oh, yeah. great. Okay.
1: Mamu, Louisiana held a vote. I won't say where that went.
0: Oh, shut up.
1: (laughs) Shout out. No. Also,
0: Mamu didn't actually have a vote, guys. No, they did
1: not. No. Okay.
0: Anyways, what are the main sticking points hindering progress towards an actual ceasefire agreement? Oh,
1: so yeah. One of the main challenges revolves around uh, differing objectives of the IDF or of Israel- and of Hamas. Um, on one hand, Hamas is demanding a permanent end to the conflict, um, and they also want to lift Israeli restrictions on Al Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan. Al Aqsa Mosque is a very important place for Muslims within Gaza, and Ramadan, obviously, Ramadan's the the Christmas of the Muslim world. So that's a huge. This is a huge celebration, a huge holiday. Israel is adamant about eradicating Hamas they don't want Hamas there at all Um, and they want to ensure that its own security needs are met so that they don't have what happened on October 7th happen again
0: so there seems to be a fundamental disagreement on the terms of the ceasefire so how are international mediators like Qatar attempting to bridge this gap
1: yeah you know they you and I'm glad you brought up because they've actually been working pretty diligently on this deal um, so they're not really getting into the back and forth and the politics into it the international community has been playing a crucial role in facilitating negotiations they've been working towards a temporary pause in hostilities they really have focused on a 40-day pause um, that 40-day pause will see an exchange uh, for the release of hostages so Hamas released the hostages IDF releases prisoners hopefully get everybody happy about that. Um, now, I will say that these efforts, do they have yet to fully address the core issues, those core issues that both sides have that is fueling this conflict.
0: Well, with Ramadan approaching, tensions probably are probably going to escalate further. So what are the potential implications of the situation worsening?
1: Yeah, so if there's no ceasefire... Ramadan's gonna it's gonna heat things up it really will Um, and so we discussed this briefly last week but to reiterate the timing of Ramadan adds another layer of complexity to this situation so if tensions if a ceasefire isn't agreed to and tensions escalate further particularly around the Al-Aqsa Mosque we could witness a broader regional war that gets other Arab nations involved that's not good I'm gonna go go out and say that right now. Uh, this is why I think the ceasefire is very important. I think they need to work really hard to to try to make this happen and, and all parties should work to prevent an escalation of violence and further bloodshed.
0: Well, as we wait for the ceasefire or at least they come to the table willing to discuss these things with each other, let's get into one of the big stories of the week, which is Hungary finally ratified Sweden's ascension into NATO. So what is the latest there? And can you give some insights to what this could mean for Europe as a whole?
1: Yeah, make, make no mistake. This is an historic moment. So the final hurdle is cleared. Sweden, Sweden is going to become the 32nd member of NATO.
0: I already congratulated Sweden, but I want to do it again. Congrats, Sweden.
1: Congratulations, Sweden. This solidifies NATO's presence in northern Europe. So this decision is a direct result of the growing concern among European nations regarding Russia's aggressive behavior. That's what I talked about at the beginning when it's like, hey, we don't want NATO expansion. Well, your actions just created more NATO expansion. And that's because of the need for collective defense measures between, within that organization. Didn't
0: Putin at the start of the war kind of claim that if sweden was um if sweden ascended into nato that there would be dire consequences to that
1: yeah and he's still you know not him maybe not him personally but russia has put out some um some statements on this and and they have said that this ascension from sweden now remember hungary also was sort of a russian supporter but they're also a nato member right um And and so there is that dynamic there as well. But, yeah, they have said that Sweden's ascension is could be seen as uh, an attack on the state of Russia.
0: Everything's so personal anyway. So how does Sweden's ascension to NATO impact Europe's security architecture?
1: So it obviously strengthens NATO's eastern flank. Uh, It bolsters deterrence against potential Russian aggression in the Baltic Sea. Um, Because of that Article 5, if Russia attacks Sweden now or Finland, NATO has to get involved. Um, I I don't think Russia is ready for that. So also, it enhances NATO's ability to respond to security challenges in northern Europe. It reinforces cohesion among the member states. Uh, I think every one of the member states besides Turkey and Hungary are very excited to have Sweden on board because they do have a lot to offer. Now, we do need to acknowledge that Sweden's ascension is not all good news because it could exacerbate tensions with Russia, just like you brought up. Um, and that could prompt further buildup along the borders in that region.
0: So while it enhances security, it also poses some challenges. So how do you see Sweden's NATO membership influencing the broader geopolitical dynamics in Europe?
1: I mean, it, it's, it's certainly... Sends a clear signal of solidarity and unity among European nations in the face of Russia's security threats. Um, Putin said he didn't want NATO expansion. He did this in Ukraine because of NATO expansion, and they expanded. So it's a clear signal to Russia that they're not that they they're I'm not going to be bullied. Bullied, yeah. <laughs> um, it reaffirms the commitment to a collective defense under Article Five. They've gotten closer to the Russian border. That means they're closer to an attack by Russia, so they're not going to be bullied once again. Um, Now, it may also contribute to further polarization between NATO and Russia. Um, We could see some polarization within NATO, Turkey and Hungary. That's something to keep an eye out for. Um, So NATO is getting stronger along Russia's borders. This could provide Putin a chance to sell further expansion of the the Russian Federation. I got to talk today. We got juice boxes again. So <laughs> having a tough time talking. Uh, but Putin has always said that there's this perceived threat of NATO expansion. So this is that. It's no longer perceived. NATO is expanding to Russia's borders.
0: And one of those countries worried about Russian expansion is Moldova, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So this week, the breakaway region of Transnistria sent a message to Russia asking for support because they basically feel like they are being overtaxed by Moldova. They think they're going to get taxed less by Russia. Well. (laughs) okay. so what can you tell us about this?
1: Uh, Yeah. So for those who don't know, Transnistria is the region that broke away from Moldova during the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it's long maintained close ties with Russia, but it is not known in the international community as its own state. Um, only amongst Russia and and themselves. Now, as you said, they've recently appealed to Moscow for assistance amid economic pressure, too much taxing from Moldova. Um, The region's leaders claim that Moldova's reintroduction of custom duties unfairly burdens Transnistrian businesses against Moldovan businesses, and this has prompted fears of economic strain and potential instability in in that region.
0: So this appeal from Transnistria is essentially asking Russia to intervene in their economic dispute with Moldova.
1: Yeah, it it is. That's what they put out. But the appeal That's to it, no, it's multifaceted.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I was like, why are they just asking for help with that?
1: Yeah, they're not. No, you were correct to okay. to realize that because they're not only seeking economic relief, but they've also asked Russia for political and military support. Now, the reason all of this is important to analyze is that this move raises concerns about Russia's potential escalation of conflict in the region. Um, so the reason I say that is I, I just want to go on a tangent here just a little bit. What Moldova could possibly see with Transnistria, which is Russian troops being put into Transnistria along the border of Moldova, is exactly what we saw in 2014 with Crimea in Ukraine, which was the original start of the war in Ukraine. Meaning Ukraine and Russia have been at war since twenty fourteen. It's just been really a cold war. Um and that's what Moldova's worried about. Um so
0: I don't know if I believe you, so I'm gonna ask my friend.
1: Well you shouldn't believe you should ask your friend because she kidding. is there.
0: I'm just and
1: uh I, I, I would like ask. to get information.
0: <laughs> okay. Well i like why don't you you
1: uh, yeah I haven't met I haven't met your friend and you we won't didn't say any it. names no 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 really I really
0: um, thought you would have met her
1: and I'm really cautious about you know this I'm cautious about inserting myself into people you know trying to say that oh here's my information that I have when oh, it's somebody understand. who's there who's in Yeah.
0: The well, oh well Yeah. yeah yeah well I mean if I would have realized this story was going to be on the podcast I would have reached out to her already but
1: We'll get it we'll get into it for the next one. Okay. Because this is this is gonna grow. This has not ended. We are gonna be talking about this for a few weeks now.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, I was just saying that you know, I was talking about the in Crimea where it started, but especially now, given that we're two years into the special military operation in Ukraine.
0: <laughs> now Moldova has dismissed this appeal as Russian propaganda. So can you mm-hmm. elaborate on Moldova's perspective? Because how are, can they say, no, Russia, Russia's doing it. It's
1: Russian thing. propaganda. Well, and yeah.
0: There, no Transnistria is known to lean towards Russia.
1: Right. So the, the Moldovan side of this is that Moldova wants closer ties with the European Union. And they view this appeal by Transnistria as an attempt to undermine the sovereignty of Moldova and its territorial integrity. The Moldovan government argues that the reintroduction of these taxes or custom duties is a legitimate measure aimed at ensuring fiscal stability and preventing smuggling. The problem we have here is that Moldova considers Transnistria a part of Moldova. Transnistria does not. So that's where why Transnistria thinks, why are we being taxed? We're not even a part of your country.
0: Oh, well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so Moldova obviously requires rejects transnistria's claims of economic oppression um they emphasize their commitment to peaceful resolution of peaceful resolution of the ukrainian conflict but peaceful resolution of their own internal conflict with transnistria
0: thank you for shedding light on that issue but now we need to get into another topic that may escalate things in europe um Do you really think that NATO will soon send troops into Ukraine to help in the war against Russia?
1: Well, that is the question that has been generating significant debate. This is especially in light of a perceived lack of support from the United States. Um, We all understand that the idea of NATO sending troops to Ukraine is a contentious one. So while there have been discussions about it, the consensus among most NATO members seems to be that this is not the right move.
0: I mean, right because um, we don't want World War III over here. Right. And that would surely escalate it to that point. So we've heard about um, French President Macron's public openness to the idea. So can you elaborate on what you just said about the broader sentiment among NATO allies?
1: So yeah, Ma- Macron's comments did spark a lot of backlash from other NATO members, but it did in key NATO members like Germany, the United Kingdom. Those are the big financiers, the big militaries within the Na- within NATO. They made it clear that they are not inclined to send troops to Ukraine. Even uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg reiterated that they are currently not planning. There are no plans for NATO combat troops on the ground within Ukraine.
0: I have a pretty good idea as to what the main factor is driving this reluctance to deploy troops, NATO troops, World War III. But can you expand on it? What what do you think the major factor is that's stopping? Yeah,
1: you're exactly right. The primary (laughs) concern is the risk of a direct confrontation with Russia So a direct confrontation with Russia would involve two nuclear states, uh, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, Russia, and then possibly the involvement of other Russian allies, China, North Korea, uh, Iran, uh, another state that's trying to make nuclear weapons. So Putin is going to frame any involvement from NATO as an escalation and possibly a threat to the Russian state, which, as we have discussed in the past, could trigger Nuclear use. The Kremlin itself has stated that the involvement of Western troops in Ukraine would lead to inevitable conflict, at least between NATO and Russia.
0: Well, given the standoff, what alternatives are being explored to continue support for Ukraine in its conflict with Russia?
1: Yeah, so as you're you're asking, so given the continued reluctance to provide those troops to Ukraine, NATO is bolstering cyber defense capabilities they're in <laughs> cyber defense. yeah that's that's honestly a, a big part of it right okay.
0: um I'm sure sh- they would prefer like I don't know weapons or more
1: right they're they're also on enhan- the
0: ground
1: they're enhancing weapons production but the cyber defense capabilities I want I want to stay there because what Russia could do, at this point, with Ukraine doesn't have proper cyber defense capabilities and shut down the entire infrastructure of Ukraine, which then would allow Russian troops to move further west and control most of Ukraine if that infrastructure shuts down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is a, a little part of it and it's a, a cost saving part of it. You don't need to, to put that much money into cyber defense capabilities. You just got to have the people there. But they are enhancing weapons production. Okay. Um, they're also providing security assistance along Ukraine's borders. Um, that's also the border with Poland, uh, the, the border with Georgia, places like that. Okay And this is an alternative if things go bad, at least NATO's right there. Additionally, there remains a focus on diplomatic efforts, a possible ceasefire if we can get everybody to the to the table to address the crisis and mitigate the risk of further escalation.
0: Well, speaking of diplomacy on the international stage, what role does this broader geopolitical landscape play in the shaping of the dynamics of the conflict?
1: Yeah, not to downplay things, but this conflict is more about the broader tensions between Russia and the West than it actually is about Ukraine. Um, So this all started, we talked about it before, this all started with Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014 and its support for separatist movements in eastern Ukraine, which challenged the post-Cold War European security architecture. This is what has led to heightened tensions and increased militarization in the region. This conflict has reignited debates about the credibility of international norms, like territorial integrity and the sacredness of those borders. So the West's response to Russia's actions in Ukraine has also tested the unity of NATO, Turkey, and Hungary, Obviously, And then it strained relations between Western countries and Russia and their allies. This has impacted various areas of cooperation, like arms control, diplomatic dialogue, things like that. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but this is the exact reason many people like myself feel very strongly about continued aid to Ukraine, because what it's going to do is prevent more Russian aggression activities within various other borders many feel that a russian win in ukraine myself included emboldens putin to further expand the borders of the russian federation to a point that it could then directly affect nato
0: well speaking of beating a dead horse um I think we've hit on everything that has happened in the war in Ukraine, as well as European security as a whole. So let's get into what may have been an under the radar event this week. And of course, I am talking about the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority resigning. Um, Earlier when we were doing research for um, this week's episode, the Mm -hmm. articles were kind of stating that it wasn't just the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority resigning. Yeah. That the entire Palestinian Authority had sent in their resignation letters in order to dissolve it immediately. But that's not the case, right?
1: Yeah. So that was so the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority sent in his resignation and then just asked for the dissolution, you know, the dissolvement of the Palestinian Authority so that they can provide a proper government to the Palestinian people.
0: So, what is going on there and um, what are the implications? from you know the geopolitical perspective
1: yeah so it so this resignation from Mohammed shatia it's he's the prime minister of the palestinian authority uh it's significant like you said it kind of went under the radar everywhere else just because so much stuff was going on um it just shows the ongoing challenges and then the, pi- the power dynamics within the palestinian political landscape his resignation Just shows all of us dissatisfaction with the status quo, uh, the need for reform within the Palestinian Authority. We have talked about that before. We have on this podcast said that they need to be reformed and have their own government across all of Palestine, a Palestinian state. There should be. I'll put this out here now. I I will put it on a podcast for everybody to hear. I do think there should be an Israeli state, a state for the Jewish people, a Jewish state. There should be a Palestinian state for the Palestinian people because
0: everybody needs a place for
1: everyone home. needs a place and if if you don't agree that each people the Jewish people and the Palestinian people deserve a place then I don't know what to tell you because yeah. and then that's why we are in this situation that we're in right now because there are people who think that one side or the other should not have an area for them or exist at all or exist at all. Um, now, remember, we spoke about Mahmoud Abbas. He's the president of Palestine. He didn't want to hold elections because he knew he was going to lose power. Well, this, this resignation from the prime minister, is the first domino to fall, impossibly forcing Abbas to send in his resignation and then hold so he can step down and then hold elections.
0: So, what factors led to his resignation, and also, um, how does that impact things globally?
1: Yeah, so his resignation, like, it comes amidst internal and external pressure. Uh, people want to see reforms within the Palestinian Authority, so it shows the need for a reformed interim government that has broader support across Palestinian factions—a government for the people. Uh, that's what we're really trying to to push for you know, our spell we, we, we try to say. Everywhere
0: to have that? <laughs> yeah. By the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, come yep. on.
1: We want, that's a government that we can always promote and and we would love to see all across the world. Uh, but there is some ongoing divisions between Fatah and Hamas, which con- which continues to hinder Palestinian unity and that forming of a new government. So from a geopolitical perspective, this resignation changes the political landscape in Palestine. Uh, but it remains to be seen if it can effectively, it, it remains to be seen if Palestine can effectively negotiate with Israel and represent Palestinian interests on the global stage. Now, make no mistake, barring some extreme actions that completely destroys the entire state of Israel, Israel will still exist throughout all of this. Uh, and, and my hope is that there can be a Palestinian government that recognizes this and pivots from what it was before to a government that will work more with the Israeli government.
0: So then what does this mean for the future of Palestinian governance and potential peace negotiations with Israel?
1: Well, the problem here is that the main factions within the government are unwilling to call out Hamas for its terrorist activities, but... Qatar and Egypt have been involved in talks aimed to provide a technocratic governance in both Gaza and the West Bank, bringing all of Palestine together. However, consultations with all Palestinian factions have included Hamas. While this shows that they have Palestinian unity among all those factions, this would, in my opinion, prevent any future peaceful negotiations with Israel because both those entities want the destruction of each other. You can't really have an negotiation then. Now, there are still challenges that remain in forming a new government. Um, Palestine is going to need a fresh parliamentary election, a fresh presidential election. You and I are both for that 100 percent. Get new elections there. Um, But there are also uncertainties surrounding Israel's stance on the borders within Gaza and the broader peace process. Um, that's something that's going to be need need to be dealt with. And I honestly don't agree with a lot of Israel's stance on that. Um, I can tell you this, if Hamas is still involved, Israel's not going to agree with the process and vice versa. Listen, I think it's crucial to recognize that developments in the Middle East have ripple effects across the entire geopolitical landscape. They can affect you on a personal level, in, Europe, in the United States. You probably know someone who has family in Palestine or Israel that is dealing with this, and that's tragedy. It is not just localized to that area. So the quest for Palestinian unity and effective governance is not just a local issue. It is a global issue. That's why we see Egypt and Qatar in these negotiations. Um, so it it's especially concerning because... We want we want peace in the Middle East. We really do. And and it's concerning these peace efforts because of the ongoing Israeli and Hamas conflict.
0: I mean, I it's not just Israel and Hamas. I mean, Iran and their I mean yeah. its proxies are kind of wreaking
1: havoc. Which Iran did say last week, give give credit where credit's due. They did say, Hey, stop. <laughs> they told their projects. Oh, proxies. they did? Oh yeah. Yeah, because they're getting destroyed by the U.S. and the U.K. naval forces. Oh, okay. They're like, please stop. So they (laughs) did do that. Good job, Iran.
0: Thank you, Kervin. So is that all for this week?
1: That's it for me, unless you had anything you wanted to add.
0: I kind of do. I kind of want to hint at something. We can't give too many details. We just want to kind of get you pumped for it. But um, there are some changes that are coming to the podcast pretty soon
1: yep you're gonna notice a change very quickly um in the next not with the
0: content not with our banter we're still gonna have juice boxes if we feel like it or not we might accidentally slip in a curse word every once in a while who knows but yeah there are some new things coming but we can't divulge too much we're just super excited about it and we
1: gotta do the paperwork go through legal do all that stuff but
0: Weird, that sounds so weird, but it's exciting, (laughs) and it's all thanks
1: to you guys.
0: It really is. It
1: absolutely. We would not be doing this if we didn't have anybody that appreciated it. How many people?
0: Oh yeah, eight. We had eight listens for the entire first week of our first episode of the podcast. Yep, and we were pumped about it. We, we knew were, every single one of those people. It was <laughs> super exciting. Yeah, we did. We knew every single one of them. And it was super exciting for us that even those eight people clicked on our podcast and they listened to it. But it has expanded and our family has grown and we are so excited and so thankful. And we just wanted to like let you guys know that there are some changes that are coming, some pretty exciting ones. So just keep a lookout. I mean, you'll know. It'll be obvious.
1: Thanks because I had have- forgotten about that.
0: Yeah, well, you're welcome. And now I probably should go cook dinner for the hordes.
1: Yeah, you got anything else you want to talk about? No. Um,
0: Just want to thank all of our beautiful listeners for listening to this podcast, especially if you managed to listen all the way to the end. (laughs) Um, We hope that you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics.
1: Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.